How's it going, you filthy animals? It's another week. And it's another episode of What We Won This Week. But unfortunately, I didn't win a whole lot this week. Yeah, yeah, I know. True story. It's crazy. Wild. Unbelievable. Duke, if you told me that, I wouldn't believe it. Well, you motherfuckers better start believing it. Because I just swore within the first 30 seconds of this podcast. We're going. We're getting in. Um, so, anyone who, uh, anyone who listened last week and anyone who has paid attention to the Facebook page over the past week knows that I got a little mouthy on the last episode. Decided to call my boy Jake out for, uh, beating on my girlfriend in fantasy football and all the other women in that league for beating on him in fantasy football. And, uh, yeah, I'm here with uh, Egg on my face. And uh, I challenged him to a little pick battle over a Gardner Minshew jersey. And I have failed miserably. Well, not miserably. It was It was very close. But, yeah, I'm a man of my word. Talked all that shit last week. Talked talked all that all that trash to Jake. Sure enough, that fucker beats me in the NFL pick'em, and he has a new Gardner Minshew jersey in the mail. You know you can't win them all, guys. And I knew when I was going to Jake that it wasn't just some scrub off the street. You know, he might do that podcast. What we learned this week. That has absolutely nothing to do with sports, which is totally fine. It's very entertaining regardless. But Jake knows the stuff. Jake does know his stuff. That is that is why he's good in fantasy football. That is why he beat me 10-8. It actually would have been 10-9, but um, I had to change my last pick of the week, my Monday night matchup. Um, mind you, fuck you, Cleveland. Um, this is the last time I'll ever depend on you for anything because y'all fucked me pretty hard. And yes, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, I do drop the F-bomb quite a bit. So I apologize for that, but I really don't. Yeah, Cleveland really dropped the ball for me. I was going to, it was originally going to pick the 49ers, but I saw Jake pick the 49ers and I didn't really have any other choice at that point. I had to kind of toss Hail Mary up there, you know, and, uh. Yeah, we're going to talk about Baker Mayfield here in a little bit, but we are just going to talk some NFL football up until then. Um, let me get this started here. Trying to trying a new little slideshow setup. I um I actually have a sec. I'm working on the whole two screen process for um for the pod. You know, kind of on the computer and stuff like that, setting it up. So, in the week, oh man, it was a crazy week in the NFL, you know, not even for the scores, not even for the games, um, you know, of, you know, the things that players can actually control, but the referees were absolutely fucking atrocious in almost every game I watched this weekend. Like, you know, just calling ticky-tack plays, you know, just calling constant, like, it's getting to the point where this, this whole player safety idea you know, because that's, that's what it's all about, right? That's that's what the whole league office is saying every time there's an issue with, um, 
issue with referees is, oh, well, it's the league, you know, we, we're worried about player safety. We're concerned about player safety. Um, Calling seven or eight holding plays in, during the course of a game, sometimes even ten, that's that has nothing to do with player safety. That has everything to do with the referee putting himself over and taking control of a fucking football game. I'm sorry. That's just that's how I feel about it. I've never been one of these conspiracy theorists that says um that says that referees, you know, that games are fixed or that, you know, the referees fix games intentionally. Um but they do call certain teams certain ways. They do call certain quarterbacks certain ways. And you know, it reminds me a lot of, say, uh, baseball umpire Joe West. Some of these guys really want to be on TV a good amount. You know? They they know the position that they're in. And they are trying to take every advantage of it. So, I've always just kind of thought it was a narcissism thing. And I continue to just see it. Because if anybody... Um, if anybody watched that Cowboys and Packers game, and I'll get into it here in like more detail here in a little bit, but man, I don't care what team you root for, that that flag that they threw on Jason Garrett after tossing a few expletives towards the referee, uh, that that guy was that guy was egging him on. That guy was egging Jason Garrett on. Um, I don't know if anyone saw the uh, the pass interference challenge that happened maybe like five minutes earlier, but, um, and yeah, that was my alarm, um, the pass interference that happened, like, five minutes earlier, and Jason Garrett and the ref got into it a little bit, but I think the biggest thing that tells me that this referee was just, he was just starting shit, is they showed a replay of when they're arguing on the sidelines, and Jason Garrett's actually starting to back up, like, he's trying to get back to the sideline, you know, he's making his final piece made, that referee is walking towards Jason Garrett, giving it to him. Like, arguing back. That referee showed up to work wanting to be combative. You know? And that's just... That is the wrong attitude to have. You cannot be a professional referee or umpire if you are just going to be combative for people questioning what you're going to do. Guess what? That's why they're challenging pass interference uh, calls now. That's why they challenge that stuff now. Is because, guess what? You don't call a perfect fucking game. Nobody plays a perfect game in football. You don't ref a perfect game. Alright? There is human error. And you need to be able to accept the fact that maybe you got something wrong. You know? Don't just don't just play this whole, you know, ego game. It's just what it is. It just feels like a giant ego game. And, you know, that's just something you didn't see with, like, the Ed Hockley's of the world. You know? And... It just feels like NFL refereeing has gone, you know, downhill. And I don't know if it is just good referees not wanting to continue to move up the ranks. Maybe there isn't quite the, you know, excitement to be a referee anymore. You know, because obviously most referees, they go through the high school ranks. And if they're good enough there, they go to the college ranks. And then if you're really a good college referee, then... you usually have an opportunity to go to the NFL, but maybe maybe that's just not a pathway a lot of these referees are taking anymore. Maybe being a referee in the SEC is more appealing right now than being a ref in the NFL. You know, it's uh, 
it's something that's you know every week it's gonna have to be you know people are gonna have to keep an eye on it because I saw it in almost every game that there was just a extravagant amount of penalties you know or referees just trying to put their hands all over the game and that's just simply put not the way it should be so um man I'm waiting for this Gardner Minshew dude to really slow down like obviously huge fan of the guy and obviously they lost against Carolina Panthers but that 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 can't even be put that can't even be put on him like, did anybody see the day that Christian McCaffrey had? Like, just on the ground, 19 attempts, 176 yards, and two touchdowns. Like, there was a point. Like, there was a play in this game where he broke out past the 50 yard line, and there was nobody within like 10 yards of him. And he just, when that little one, like when that dude just starts running, and he hits a good hole, like he's gone. He is explosive. He is almost single-handedly carrying uh, the Carolina Panthers offense. Like, there are good players on the Panthers offense. You know, Kyle Kyle Allen's actually filled out pretty well for um, Cam Newton. DJ Moore is a pretty good player. And Greg Olson is having a career renaissance year right now. Um, But Christian McCaffrey has just absolutely carried the load. And he is the exact reason the Panthers are 3-2 right now. Like, there's... There's just not a whole whole lot more to it. Um, and on the Jaguars' side, Gardner Minshew, 374 yards in the air, two touchdowns. Um, Leonard Fournette has kind of popped out of nowhere as well with uh, another 100-yard game and a touchdown. And listen, I if you've been listening to my podcast longer than this episode, you have absolutely zero excuse to why you don't have DJ Chark on your team right now. Eight receptions, 164 yards, and two touchdowns. He was projected seven points this week in my Yahoo Fantasy League. He's been projected lower every week before because nobody apparently is realizing that DJ Chark is absolutely having a breakout season in his, only his second year. This guy is six foot four, and he runs a four, I believe a four three four, like a, a high four three forty. If not a low four four forty, that's insane athleticism. That's a young AJ. That's a young Julio Jones or AJ Green. You know, people are gonna have a hard time covering this guy, and he even had a really good matchup against the Panthers. You know, it, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a cakewalk. So people really need to start paying attention to this DJ Chark guy. Just saying. Um, you know and. Yeah, so like I said, you don't have an excuse he's not on your fantasy team. I tried warning all of you. The second I picked him up, I'm like, you know what? This guy might actually be a huge pickup. But you know who is not a huge pickup right now, unfortunately, is really anybody on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster finally got it going against the Ravens, but it just was not enough as the Ravens beat him in overtime. But I think the real story of this game has to be that Mason Rudolph hit. Like, holy crap. I think the thing that scared me the most about this hit, I don't know if you've seen this hit, if you have not seen this hit, which I don't know how you haven't at this point, um, definitely look it up. Look up the Mason Rudolph, like, hit. Put it in YouTube. I guarantee you'll find it immediately. Um, the thing that scared me most about this hit wasn't even, like, the like initial contact. Like, 
he was out on his feet. Like the second Earl Thomas came in there and caught him, like he was out. You could see it in his face on the camera. He was fucking out cold standing. What scared me the most was when he fell to that turf and his head just whacked right like right off of it. Like it it just was not good to see. Um it was hor- it was horribly handled as for some reason the Pittsburgh injury cart was broken, I guess. So they essentially had to take the face mask off Mason Rudolph to, you know, kind of check on his head and check on his neck. And then they had to walk him off the field. And it was just it, it was just bizarre. And I feel terrible for Mason Rudolph. Um just a bad situation. Over, like overall badly handled um this un- very unfortunate thing. And the Steelers fall to one and four, man. You know, not that they looked great with Ben in there before, but maybe that was a lot bigger than people thought it would be. You know, Steelers are not looking good, and that postseason window is closing very, very, very quickly. Um, Lamar Jackson starting to really cool down. Um, he had one touchdown with three interceptions. You know, and that's that was always my biggest thing about Lamar Jackson. Is you know, like he got him seventy on the ground, got him one hundred sixty one through the air, but those three interceptions—that's just unacceptable. And it just—I just don't think he has the downfield accuracy. He has an incredible arm, and when he's throwing to Marquise Brown, that's awesome because you know that's big arm and speed. You know that that works. That that will always work. But when it gets down to the nitty gritty, you have to make those mid range throws, or you have to make deep throws on a dime. I still have yet to see it from Lamar Jackson. <laughs> Big fan of the guy. I've been rooting for him ever since he got drafted in the league. I think he has an incredible story. I think he is an incredible athlete. And I think he does have the potential to be a Michael Vick-esque player. But I just don't take him seriously as a long-term answer at quarterback for really any team yet. Yet. And I'm saying this yet. This is very early in his career. I'm not saying it you know, for sure. But as it stands right now... He really needs to continue to work on his accuracy and continue to work on his, like, throwing motion almost. Like, not completely change it, but maybe plant your foot forward, you know, make some better throws. You know, Lamar Jackson's there. He's just not all there yet. Um, and then, you know, two other games, uh, Bills Bills and the Titans played on Sunday. Um, Bills are now 4-1. and one. They beat the Titans 14-7. Josh Allen played in the game. That probably save them honestly um Derrick Henry's continuing to have a fairly productive season he had 78 yards and a touchdown um and then you know that Patriot Patriots Redskins thing happened where you know the Patriots you know won 33 to 7 Tom Brady essentially you know won me my fantasy league you know when he was looking like he wasn't doing jack shit in the first half dude so get this guys I actually won my fantasy. I scored 200 fucking points this weekend in my fantasy league. Like, almost all of my guys went off for at least, like, 18 points. Like, I'm pretty sure Justin Tucker had 17. Like, 202 points. My, like, the guy, I, I barely scored 100 points last week and I won. And this week, the guy I'm playing had 174 points and I just managed to pull off. 202 I was only projected for 125 and you want to know how this happened so get this 
I decided to start Marquise Brown because I didn't know if DJ, um, if Michael Gallup was going to be able to play. Okay, Tom Brady, 25 points. Adam Thielen, 32 points. Marquise Brown, 11, 11 points, you know, whatever. Josh Jacobs, who I did not expect to have the game that he had, obviously against the Bears defense, 31 points. Devonta Freeman, 18 points. Allen Robinson, 20, 28, almost 29 points. DJ Chark, 36. Justin Tucker, my my kicker, 16 points. And the Bears got, you know, Bears defense gave me four points. You know, they did what they did. And then get this, my tight end, yeah, because I didn't bring up a tight end, Greg Olson, zero. I got a nothing burger on my fantasy lineup, and I still won by almost 30 points. Isn't that fucking wild? Is that... You know, sometimes that works in your favor, and sometimes that just completely burns you. And for some reason, that really worked out in my favor, because all my other plays, they went off. Dude, even if I would have played Michael Gallup, that would have gave me another almost 25 points. You know, and for anybody uh, looking for any, uh, you know, flyer wide receivers or anything like that, or even a tight end, um, Chris Herndon is coming off his uh, suspension for the Jets. He's going to be a starting tight end for the Jets. And no matter who is quarterback for the Jets, I'm assuming tight end is going to get a lot of work. So that would definitely be a pickup I would consider going towards. Um, and if you're looking for any wide receivers, um, Debo Samuel from San Francisco, he didn't have a great game last night um, because of you know the blowout. They didn't really need to throw the ball that much after a certain point. But I think he would be a decent pickup. I, it looks like him and Jimmy G have built a – Pretty good, uh, pretty good chemistry together. And this uh, Auden Tate, Auden Tate looks pretty good. Um, he got six targets. I mean, it only turned into 26 yards and a touchdown. But you know, he's definitely going to continue to get. He's going to continue to get reps. And uh, I'm not saying he's going to be a great number one or even an incredible number two. But I mean, he'd be a solid flex option for a team that is. Um, you know, a little desperate, so it it's it would definitely be something to look into. Um, so I'm not gonna get too I'm not gonna get too long into this, you know, because I'm not gonna try to get long winded because I know I know not a lot of Bears fans are probably listening to this, but uh, I do kind of want to go over a little bit of what happened in that Bears Raiders game. Um, you know, Matt Nagy. Yeah, simply put, I got to put a lot of this loss on him. And it is for the exact reason of the Oakland Raiders being over in London. The game was played over in London, if you didn't know. The game being played was over in London. The Raiders were there on Monday. The Bears did not leave Chicago until Friday to go over and play a game on Sunday. Now... This is uh, similar things have happened, maybe on a bit of a smaller scale, so far this year with Matt Nagy. Um, he was very, very, very big on not going to uh, Denver early, um, you know, to deal with the high altitude. He didn't end up. They, I don't think the team ended up flying out to Denver until Friday morning. You know, the same same kind of deal. And um, for some reason, the uh, offense struggled because uh, I don't think a lot of the a lot of the offense was ready for the uh, the altitude change. 
And, you know, it just it just goes to show that you can't be stuck too stuck in your ways. Um, this is the difference between a second-year head coach and a, you know, a very experienced head coach. You know, Gruden was, I'm sure, told all his entire locker room after um, after last Sunday's game, listen, you know, enjoy, enjoy the win, kiss your family goodbye, because we're going to fucking London tomorrow. You know, simple as that. That's that's how it has to be. We need to go get prepared. We're flying over a fucking ocean. We need to go get a, our body adjusted. But apparently that just does not apply to Matt Nagy. Um, and this is one thing I think will really be his biggest development as a head coach is seeing if he will honestly be able to admit admit mistakes admit that maybe the things he's going around going about you know didn't quite go the right way and he doesn't have to say this to the media like he doesn't he doesn't have to answer anything to the media and you know that's let's just get that out of the way right away because you know Chicago media is vultures I I will I'll be the first to fucking say that I can't stand a lot of the writers and columnists in Chicago um, because I think they are very knee-jerk and um, they react very harshly to uh, the hometown team, and then they wonder why they do not get interviews with that said team after a certain amount because they build absolutely zero trust. But that is as a topic for another day. Um, Matt Nagy needs to accept that he was wrong with Denver, even though he found, pulled away to win, and he was wrong about London. Okay? And uh, moving on to that, you know, I... Uh, I tried telling everybody, you know, everyone tried all all this past week. Everyone was telling me about how Chase Daniel looked really good against the Vikings, and that the Bears looked better with Chase Daniel in there. Man, I've been I've been watching, I've been watching the Bears since I was essentially in fucking diapers. Um, I don't miss plays very often. You know, some people miss a game here and there. I don't miss plays. You know, I'm not and yeah, I'm not trying to you know dick swing or anything like that here. But I, I kind of saw this performance from Chase Daniel coming. You know, I think part of it was jet lag. But, but man, I did not go into this excited. He throws a lot of toss-ups. You know, he tries to make his receivers go make a play. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But when that's almost your entire, you know, downfield, you know, your downfield throwing game, that's, that's a scary, scary thought because... Outside of a couple good shots down the field where Allen Robinson bailed him out, Anthony Miller actually saved him from throwing an interception, even though Anthony Miller is getting a lot of blame for one of the interceptions that he threw. Um, it was a lot of just check down bullshit. You know, a lot of getting the ball in the hands of his players within three to five yards, trying to get the ball out quick because the pass rush was coming, and uh, a lot of backup, backup quarterback stuff, you know. And I'm sorry, you know, anyone could say what they want about Mitch and they know I'm going to sit they know I'm going to sit here and defend Mitch cuz you know I'm a Bears fan and that's just what I do. Um Mitch runs this offense way fucking better than Chase Daniel can ever imagine to. Just cuz he came in against the Vikings on a pinch when the Vikings didn't prepare for a backup quarterback who wasn't mobile. Um, I never bought into the fact that Chase Daniel was going to be our long-term starter. And it sucked because watching the game, it felt like every time I started to praise the guy, he'd throw an interception or he'd come drastically close to throwing an interception or completely fucking up a drive. Um, so yeah, I never bought into that. I am very excited for this bye week for the Bears and I'm very excited to get Mitchell Trubisky back. 
Um, and also, to any Raiders fans that say that uh, we lost the Cleo Mack trade, yeah, I'm going to make that trade 100 times out of 100. You can have Josh Jacobs. Congratulations. I'm glad you guys finally found a fucking running back. It's only, it's only taken you, like, what, 10 years, if if not longer? Who was the last, who was the last first-round running back that you guys drafted? Darren McFadden? Say, so yeah, get off your fucking high horse. We'll take Cleo Mack, you know, that future Hall of Famer. Yeah. We'll take him over Josh Jacobs. Congratulations, though. You know, you know, golf clap. Um, and, uh, yeah, going on from games that were kind of bullshit, we go to the Eagles who, you know, played the Jets, and, you know, that's that's just almost a free fucking win these days. It's essentially playing the Dolphins. Why are there so many bad teams in the AFC? Why? We have the Bengals who are 0-5. We have the Jets who are 0-4. We have the Dolphins that are owned for. Like, why are there so many bad teams in the AFC? I don't understand it. Like, what what happened? What happened? Over, like, I kind of saw the Bengals downfall happening because, you know, you know, Andy Dalton and stuff. I never believed he was, like, a, a franchise quarterback, and the Bengals' defense is, looks pretty pretty sorry. I'm not going to lie. But um, I, I just never really saw, like, the big thing with Andy Dalton. And I don't think A.J. Green's seen the big thing with Andy Dalton these days either. Um, it's just, it's going to continue to be a long season for the Bengals. Um, it can continue to be a long season for the Jets as um, as long as their starting quarterback is out. Because, you know, Joe Namath stuff where he wanted to, you know, kiss a bunch of sleuths on uh, street corners. But, moving on. Um, Kirk Cousins actually looked like an NFL quarterback this weekend. Unfortunately, it was against the New York Giants. Kirk Cousins threw 306 yards and two touchdowns. Both of those touchdowns going to my boy Adam Thielen, who uh, yeah scored me 32 in fantasy. Like I already said, I am gonna I'm gonna really beat that to death. Um, Daniel Jones having a rookie game, 182 yards, touchdown, and interception, and not a whole lot happening from there. But some good news on the Giants front is my boy. I'm going to say my boy to any of my uh, big fantasy guys. But uh, my boy Saquon Barkley is coming back next week. Oh, fucking yes. I've needed my running back back so damn bad. I can pair him with Josh Jacobs. I can have Devonta Freeman as my backup running back in case anything happens to Josh Jacobs. Or Saquon Barkley again. Um... You know, all these people are surprised that Saquon Barkley is coming so early from a high ankle sprain. This guy is a freak of nature. Like, what what tells you that this guy can't freaking do it? You know? Uh, because nothing tells me he can't. You know, I, I, remember, I remember Matt Forte when he was in Chicago. He came back from a high ankle sprain in like two weeks. And that's just because he was a freak of nature too. You know, it hits a certain point where you're this good of a running back. You take this well, like this good care of your body, which I don't know if you guys followed Saquon during the pre-draft process, but holy shit, does this guy take care of his body. Kind of reminds me of like a Daryl Green, you know, just uh, taking care of his body, not putting a lot of nasty things in it. Um, and, you know, Dan... Damn right, dude. And that's why Saquon Barkley recovers so well from injuries. It's crazy that when you take care of your body, you take you recover it well from injuries. But I hope he's fully recovered. Hope he's not rushing back. Um, because the Giants seem simply put is not good. And while I am loving, you know, the fact that I'm gonna have Saquon Barkley playing in my fantasy games, you know, moving forward, 
he's a lot more than just a fantasy piece. You know, so, you know. Simply put, I, I make a lot of jokes around here, but he is a lot more than a fantasy piece, and um, I really hope he is healthy moving forward. Speaking of shitty AFC teams, though, the Denver Broncos finally, finally, the Denver Broncos have finally come back to the winning circle. They finally get sprinkles on their ice cream cone as they beat the Chargers 20-13. to um, Division rival, division game. Uh, Phillip Rivers played like uh, dry cat shit. Melvin Gordon looked like he didn't belong on an NFL field. And Aaron Eckler, you know, this guy that everyone says doesn't, you know, is just holding down the spot for Melvin Gordon. 15 receptions for 86 yards. He did fumble in this game, so, I mean, he wasn't perfect, but I I still think there's a reason the Chargers haven't paid Melvin Gordon, and I think Aaron Eckler is a big reason for it. Um, Is it Aaron or Austin? I, I always... I, I read his name the other day, and I realized, like, holy hell, I've probably been saying his name wrong like, the whole time. I think it's Austin Eckler, actually. I'm sorry. So if I've been saying Aaron Eckler, like I just said, like, a minute ago, I apologize. But, yeah, that Eckler dude. That's how I'll refer to him from now on. Uh, Joe Cool, Joe Flacco, uh, one touchdown, one interception, 182 yards. Um, it's funny that in the Broncos' one win, Joe Flacco actually doesn't look that great because in most all of their losses, Joe Flacco's actually looked pretty good this year. It's funny. It's always funny how that shit works. Um, Cortland Sutton finally looking like an NFL receiver, four receptions, 92 yards, and touchdown. Philip Lindsay with the fantasy numbers of 15 attempts, 114 yards, and touchdown. Um, Philip Lindsay's always a solid, uh, solid fantasy start. Um, and now we are on to the prime time games. Well, I mean, the Broncos Chargers one was like the game of the America, like uh, the CBS game of the week. Yeah, but uh, I didn't have any intention to watch any of it. Um, Packers and the Cowboys. This is the big one. The big one. Um, Packers obviously go on the road into Jerry's world and roll off with a 10-point victory. It, it honestly should have been a lot worse. Um, Packers did take their foot off the gas pedal. They kind of play down after a while. Um, Aaron Jones, holy hell, have yourself a day. 19 attempts, 107 yards, and four touchdowns on the ground. I know he did more through the air, but I don't have those numbers. Oh, yeah, I do. I have these numbers right in front of me because he was the leading receiver for the Green Bay Packers as well with seven receptions at 75 yards. This, like... I just don't understand why it took until week five for you guys to really start using the hell out of Aaron Jones because he is he's he's an outstanding running back. He really is. There's a reason why when he's on the field, he averages over five yards of carry. Now, I don't know what his carry average is this season, but I've had to see a lot of Aaron Jones you know, throughout the last few years, and the guy can play. Simply put, the guy can play. Um, durability maybe might be a little bit of an issue, but... You know, if 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 you're gonna have a bell cow running back, if you're gonna have a starting running back who you're gonna have to put a lot on, um, Aaron Jones just basically told the Green Bay organization, like, hey, we don't need a running back by committee. I'm your guy. Um, obviously, I think by far this game was the worst officiated, um, really for both teams. Um, there was some questionable, you know, challenge, challenge results. <laughs> Oh, it really took me a second to get that one out. There were some questionable challenge results that kind of happened in it. Um, obviously, as I was saying earlier, the whole Jason Garrett um, 
fiasco with how that all happened. It was a ridiculous flag that was thrown. Um, there was some pass interferences that weren't called, and there were some that were called. Um, you know, and, and it really hurt. It really hurt the Cowboys. Cowboys really shot themselves in the foot in two situations in this game. I mean, besides the fact of getting blanked in the first half, um, the ones that really killed them was the first pass interference challenge that they made that kind of started all that nonsense with uh, between Garrett and the referee. Um, that was that was what hurt them because losing that challenge made them only have one challenge for the rest of the game. And then, yes, that second one was was a successful challenge by an incredible, incredible catch by Mari Cooper. And, whole, you know, I'll get into Mari Cooper here in a second. Um, but it really killed them because they didn't have any challenges left at that point because they got the first one wrong. That, that interception from uh, Kevin King that essentially put the game away for the Cowboys, or for the Packers, I should say, um, yeah, I don't care who you're a fan of. I, I'm sure I'm, I've got some Packer fans listening here, but I mean, come on, we can admit it. Kevin King got away with a whole lot of pass interference on that interception. Let's just be real. Let's just be real. Got away with a whole lot of inter- whole lot of uh, pass interference there. And um, the 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 second instance where they really shot themselves in the foot is um not it wasn't even that final field goal miss. Um, that should have been a chip shot that should have been made. You know, that's that's a conversation I'm sure Jerry Jones is going to have with his kicker. Um, but it was that first field goal they actually missed, that 52-yarder. And a 52-yarder, that's not a chip shot. That's not a guarantee make by any sense of the imagination. But I feel like in a dome, in ideal situations, in a big game like this, that's a kick you you should probably make. Um, and it just, it just feels like Brett Maher has been off for most of the year. So I think, I really think the Cowboys are going to start considering looking around at looking around free agency and whatnot for, uh, kickers, but that missed 52 yarder kind of screwed them towards the end. Cause once the Cowboys actually started soaring back and they did, the Cowboys really started, you know, showing up in the second half. Um, it made that last drive mean a little bit less because, had Maher made that 52-yarder, I believe it was in what the end. What was it, the second quarter? Like it was near the end, near the end of the half, I think. Um, had he made that field goal in that situation, it would have been a 34-27 ball game, and Dallas would have had an opportunity to go for that fourth down and try to score a touchdown. And they might have been a little bit more um, aggressive heading up to that play because um, I think they were still playing not to necessarily turn the ball over because they still knew that they had to get that second, um, that, that first score regardless to even make the second score mean anything. Um, and then, you know, actually, I got a bonus third one here. Why in the flying fuck are they not running? Like, why are they not running Ezekiel Elliott more? He, he was almost, aver- he was averaging over five yards a carry. He had a touchdown. Like, feed that fucking dude. If I'm Jerry Jones and I'm watching the way that Ezekiel Elliott's being used in the Dallas Cowboys offense right now, I'm fucking, I'm about ready to go down, down to the sidelines, find Kellen Moore, stick my hand, like, probably like, pass the elbow up his ass and play him like a puppet until he starts using Ezekiel Elliott. Like, I just don't understand it. Like, um, you know, I'm not on the Dak Prescott uh, like hate train. I'm not on the hype train either. I think he's a 
I think he's a very serviceable quarterback, and I think that at times he can do some great things. But why why are the Cowboys insisting on putting almost every game in his hands when they have Ezekiel Elliott in the backfield? I know they got down early, but even early on, Ezekiel Elliott was not being used the way he should have been. The Packers' run defense so far this season has been weak. You know, I, Packer fans are not trying to shit on you. It's just it's just facts here. You know, and if if you run Ezekiel Elliott more than 20 times, I guarantee you he has over, over 100 yards. I guarantee you he has more than one touchdown. And it wears the entire defense down and opens up the pass game. That's just something that I think Kellen Moore really needs to understand on the NFL level. This isn't college. This isn't Boise State where you can run, you know, where you can throw the absolute piss out of the ball and that's how you wear down a defense. In the NFL, you wear down the defense with your workhorse running back and that sets up the pass game. That's why almost any winner you will see on any Sunday has a running back hovering around over 100 yards. You know, that's just how it works. They got to. They got to wear down the interior defense, make them load the box, and that sets up play action, that sets up plays down the field. And when you have a guy like Amari Cooper, who has 11 receptions, 226 yards, and a touchdown, who is unguardable, you know, in, when he's on his game, that sets up that sets him up even more. If Ezekiel Elliott has over 100 yards, you know, who knows? Amari Cooper could have 300 yards. It's just, that's football. You got to set your other players up. You can't just jump to having Dak carry you all the time, okay? You have to use Ezekiel Elliott. You're paying him too damn much not to use him. Um, but, yeah, moving past that, it was a very big win for the Packers. Packers are now 4-1 on the season. And they are on top of the NFC North. Yeah, that did. That, that did really hurt to say. You're right. It did really hurt to say. But final two games of the week, um, Colts and the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football. Um, you know, I, I don't really have a whole lot to say about this game. Um, I got two points, though. Marlon Mack looked really, really great. 29 attempts, 132 yards. He looks like he is – it looks like the Colts have an answer running back and they need to stop dicking around with it. Marlon Mack is your guy. That's going to be your guy moving forward. You know, just just work with that. Um, and the other takeaway I have is how much, how different of a quarterback Patrick Mahomes looked like when he could not scramble outside the pocket and kind of move around and make a play downfield. Because let me tell you, in the third quarter when he got his ankle stepped on, and you know obviously he's injured, so that is a very valid excuse to why you know a guy might not play well. But it makes me wonder about kind of what who Patrick Mahomes will be down the line because you know as we've seen with saying Aaron Rodgers as we've seen with you know quite a few quarterbacks you know even a Roethlisberger you know quarterbacks who depend on maybe you know running to get a little bit out of the pocket and making throws on the run um, one thing we've seen is you know some of those guys slow down and then all of a sudden they have to become a pocket quarterback obviously Aaron Rodgers did that obviously Ben Roethlisberger did that but from what I saw out of Patrick Mahomes, the second he wasn't mobile, and you know, obviously he's still very young in his career, he's still insanely talented. All of a sudden, he looked like a young quarterback with just a big arm. Um, didn't nearly have as much touch on his footballs. Didn't nearly have as much uh, time to really open it up downfield. And, you know, obviously, you know, when you roll out, that gives you a little bit more time. So it kind of makes me wonder the quarterback who Patrick Mahomes would be if he was not as mobile as he was. And I'm not saying Patrick Mahomes is like this insanely mobile guy because he's not, you know, let's just be honest here. 
but he's a guy who's good enough to get outside the pocket, very similar to a young Aaron Rodgers, how he can get out, outside of the pocket and make something happen with his feet and that causes plays to happen downfield. And I just didn't see that once he got injured. And it's it's almost making me think that if you force Patrick Mahomes to be a pocket quarterback and not allow him to get outside the pocket, that might be the way that defenses can actually contain this guy. So it's going to be interesting to see. Chiefs, obviously, was only their first loss of the year, and it was against a very talented Colts team. I think people are really underrating um, what the Colts bring to the table. But I really think uh, I really think that's something to be paying attention moving forward. You know, hopefully Patrick Mahomes stays healthy. And on to the Thursday night game. All right, I got like two takeaways from this game. Um, obviously, Seahawks beat the Rams 30-29. to um, Take number one, Russell Wilson is my early season MVP. He was absolutely unstoppable that ge- like the entire game. Like They had absolutely zero answer for Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is almost single-handedly carrying this offense right now. Um, Chris Carson... Obviously, outside, you know, in the backfield, he's definitely the definition of a workhorse back. Definitely the definition. That's that's a new one. Um, he is a workhorse back. Um, Twenty-seven attempts for 118 yards. And Will Disley was their leading receiver with four receptions, 81 yards. Look at how many years Russell Wilson has made. Damn near any receiver or tight end they bring in there look good. You know, like look at how many years this has been a thing. Um, Doug Baldwin. Um, Paul Richardson, you know, Ricardo Lockett, Tyler Lockett, Golden Tate, like all these receivers who are good, don't you know, they are good, but never have they really hit that point of great. Like they were making Golden Tate a number one receiver when he was in Seattle, and he never really shined until uh, Detroit finally put him in the slot and made him not the best receiver on the field. Um, it just feels like that's kind of been the thing that the Seahawks have been putting around Russell Wilson and Russell Wilson just continues to produce. There's not been a year where Russell Wilson, you can tell me has not produced his fair end at the, like at the quarterback position, you know, people for some reason wanted to say stuff about when he got paid that maybe he didn't deserve it. Russell Wilson deserves every fucking penny he gets from the Seattle Seahawks because everyone likes to talk about, you know, the Legion of Boom and how how great that defense was. But I don't think enough people talk about how great Russell Wilson is. 268 yards, four touchdowns, did a lot of damage on the ground. Um, and a lot of those plays that he made with, you know, with his arm, he ended up making happen with his feet. And um, we've all seen that Russell Wilson can also work inside the pocket and be a pocket quarterback as well. Um, just great stuff. And uh, my second takeaway... And uh, I got in a big Facebook argument about it, but um, Sean McVay's coaching so far this year has been a little, has been questionable. And, you know, it's kind of like the stuff I was talking about with Matt Nagy. You know, these younger, these younger coaches, I think they get a little bit, they get a little bit full of themselves up there. You know, and uh, you hit a, you hit a point, you hit a point where uh, you have to kind of look at yourself in the mirror and look at some of the decisions you make. When you have a Greg Zerline on the sidelines and uh, you have a first and 10, and at that point right there, I believe it was a 44-yard field goal for uh, Greg Zerline, and you have Todd Gurley in your backfield, you don't have any timeouts, and you have 20 se- like 20 seconds left. Why would you not run the ball with Todd Gurley to center that ball up 
spike the ball the next play, maybe take a shot on third towards the sidelines. Yeah, if even if you even if you do that, why not run the ball with Todd Gurley, get that ball centered, spike it with about five seconds left, and give Greg Zerline a centered football in Seattle on the road. Like everyone, everyone's jumping down Greg Zerline's throat for missing that field goal. And you know, admittedly, he should have made that field goal. There's not a lot of excuses there. But as a head coach, you have to put your players in the best possible way to succeed. Because what happened instead on that first and ten, you know, as they were sitting at about a 45, you know, 44, 45 yard field goal, he decided to throw out routes towards the sidelines with Jared Goff, two of which. We're almost intercepted. And if those would have been intercepted, those would have been taken to the fucking house. So I just, I, you know, even Troy Aikman, you know, think of what you want about Troy Aikman, but even he was saying on the broadcast that, like, I, it just, it boggles the mind. You just, I don't understand it. Don't understand how you can make those kind of decisions in that, in that situation. Out routes, you know, very easily interceptable ball if you're not paying attention. So, yeah, that just, that absolutely blew my mind. Um, you know, people will defend him. People will say that, you know, obviously you don't center a 45-yard field goal. And, you know, there's an argument for that. But there's also an argument that a lot of great coaches do stuff like that. You know, look no further than the tuck rule game when uh, Tom Brady took a pretty easy sack, you know, to center, you know, to center the football to center the football for Adam Vinatieri because obviously conditions were not ideal. And, I mean, when you're on the road, when are conditions ideal? And uh, centered the football for Adam Vinatieri. Adam Vinatieri knocked it right through, and they went to overtime. Um, it's just small things like that with Sean McVay. Sean McVay is a very bright mind, and I believe he's going to be a head coach in this league for a long time. But there's just stuff like that. You have to stop working within your own head. you got to just remember we're playing football, and – as much as people say football changes, the game really doesn't. You know, that's a situation that will be there till the end of time, and uh, it'll always be telling with how the coach handles it. All right. Speaking of how the coaches handle things, how do you think Michael or Freddie Kitchens is going to be handling his quarterback this week? Now, I want to start this by saying I won't go too far into detail about this because I still got some college football I want to talk about. But what is going on with Baker Mayfield? I think that's a question, a very fair question that's been being asked. Um, and I think after that Monday night football game in prime time against a uh, San Francisco team that is undefeated but is a team that hasn't quite had a huge test yet, I think the question is fair. What is up with Baker Mayfield this season? And I think I have a very simple answer. So Baker Mayfield on the season has 1,200 yards, is completing 56% of his passes for an average of 7.7 yards um, per attempt, Um, four touchdowns, eight interceptions. He's been sacked 16 times. He has a rating of 68.5 and a QBR of 33.4, including a rating of 13.4 last night and a QBR of 4.2. Now, 
I think it's easy to look at these numbers, and obviously I'm already seeing all the people overreact and say, Oh, he's a bust. I knew he was a bust. Everyone told me he was a bust. Colin Cowherd told me he was a bust. Dang it, I was right. And uh, I'm not going to give Colin Cowherd an inch of credit because he is just a fucking hater. So we're not even going to go down that road. But simply put, I don't buy that Baker Mayfield's a bust. But I do buy that I don't think his head is in the right place. And I do buy that the hype was a little too high. Obviously, when you're first pick overall in the draft, the hype's going to be high. Trust me, I, I, I see how high the hype is for the second pick in the draft in a Mitchell Trubisky. You know, I, I deal with it every week. You know, I get in arguments with my own fan base all the time about it. Um, so I can see a lot where, you know, this idea with Baker Mayfield is coming, you know. Sorry, I'm not. I'm I'm yelling at my dog. I know I just said coming in a very provocative matter. I apologize for that. Uh, <laughs> uh, he just. What irks me the most is it feels like he is so worried about what everyone thinks about him, and he's not just going out there and he's not just playing football. Like, why reply to Rex Ryan? Like Rex Ryan wants to make a comment about that you're out overrated. Don't even don't even give him the time of day in an interview. Like don't even acknowledge it. If someone asks a question, it's like, I just care about what the people in here think. Simple as that. On to the next question. You don't have to say you don't have to take a subtle shot at him. You don't have to try to you don't have to try to defend yourself all the time, dude. These these hacks are gonna get jobs. You know, it it's just it's the way it is, man. You're quarterback in the NFL. You're going to have a ton of people criticize and never living shit out of everything you do. And maybe I'm sounding a little critical right now, but that's just because I truly think that this is all getting in your head a little too much, Baker. You know, why are you arguing with ex- ex-head coaches when you have more interceptions and touchdowns? Why are you arguing with ex-head coaches when your team has more losses than it does wins, man? Who gives a shit? About what Rex Ryan has to say. Who gives a shit what anyone has to say about you, Baker? You have to worry about your teammates. You have to worry about what's happening in the building. Just worry about that. Go to your quarterback meetings. Should Be the first one to show up every day. And go work to get better, man. Because the talent's there. The talent is there. The swagger on the field is there. You know, I love that shit. I love how Baker Mayfield is a player on the field. You know, that during that game... He is not taking shit from anybody. I love that. But, dude, you got to turn that off once you're off the field. You got to be two different people. You know, look at, you know, look at, look at Philip Rivers, one of the most competitive guys on the field as a quarterback. But once he's off the field, he gives the media every answer they want to hear. He's not combative. He doesn't try taking shots at anyone who talks shit about him. And trust me, a lot of people over, over Philip Rivers' career have taken plenty of pot shots at the guy. You just got to let that shit go, man. You got to let it go. Okay? These, these that that stat line that I read, that's not that's not to Baker Mayfield. I I I know the player, you know? I see a lot more out of him. Unfortunately, I think he bought in a little bit too much to the hype last season. I think everyone was hyping up this guy that he was going to be the savior savior of Cleveland, and he very well could be. But no savior ever knew they were the savior. Every savior played and prove that they were the savior, you know? Talk is cheap, Baker. You got to start backing this shit up, you know? And fuck Colin Cowherd. Don't worry about him either, you know? Just 
you can do that shit in the off season. Just don't do it now, because it just puts a bigger target on your back. That's why. That's why Nick Bosa was on your ass the entire game, and he was, you know, talking shit, and he was, you know, getting under your skin, because that's what people know to do to get you to play off is to get under your skin, get you fucking angry. Man, you gotta, you gotta be a lot less transparent than that. You gotta make people wonder who you are. Don't let them know who Baker Mayfield is, what gets him, you know, what makes him happy, what makes him sad, what makes him pissed off. Make him guess. So that's that's the best advice I have for Baker Mayfield right now. Not that my advice means shit. But uh, where my advice does kind of mean something are these college football matchups, man. It is going to be a big weekend in college football, and I am here to give you the down low on my top four games I'm going to be watching. Um, Obviously, the Wisconsin-Michigan State game I will be definitely watching. Michigan State is not ranked, but they are a very worthy opponent. Um, They're averaging 392 yards a game, 260 being through the air and 131 on the ground, and they have allowed... 300 yards a game, which will be a big plus for the Wisconsin offense, who is averaging 456 yards a game right now with uh, that Jonathan Taylor guy, who already on the season has 745 yards and 12 touchdowns on only 103 carries, mind you. So hopefully the ground game will continue to add add on to the average of 254 yards per game. Um, Obviously, like like I said, Michigan State, um, them being ranked does not really – indicate the kind of team that they are um i did watch that ohio state game that they played last week and uh while 34 to 10 was the result it you know it it, there was a lot of points in that game where michigan state could have built some momentum it's just you know playing in ohio against the buckeyes the way the buckeyes have been playing you know against questionable competition i should say um there's it's that's a tough one that is a tough one um, but I think their quarterback, Lewerke, is somebody you really cannot, you know, cannot take lightly. He already has 1,500 yards, 11 touchdowns, and only two interceptions. Very minimizes mistakes. But I think if the Badgers can shut down, um, shut down Michigan's run game, they can make Lewerke throw a little bit. Um, I believe, I believe that the, uh, I believe that the Badgers have the pass defense to definitely um, win this game and move, keep continue moving undefeated and continue moving on in the season. So I will say 31, 31 to 10 Wisconsin. Um, so to the biggest game of I believe of this weekend. Um, we are going to have the Red River rivalry between my Texas Longhorns and the Oklahoma Sooners. Man, this is going to be an absolute fucking shootout. Let me tell you, if you were going to watch any other football game besides the Badger game this weekend, this is it. Okay, Jalen Hurts, who is having an incredible season, um, he is 82 for 109 this year. Just imagine that. Imagine the fact that he's only... Um, thrown 27 incomplete passes, 1,500 yards, 14 touchdowns, two interceptions. Sam Ellinger, 1,450 uh, 1, yards, 17 touchdowns, two interceptions. There's two two great quarterbacks coming into this game. Jalen Hurts, I think a lot of people still even, with how much he's shown that he can play quarterback, people still have a lot of questions about the guy. 
Um, this is going to be a quarterback matchup for the season, honestly. This is going to be a great one. And it's a very strong possibility these two meet up again in the Big 12 championship. Um, you know, points per game with Oklahoma, they've scored uh, damn near 54 points a game. Um, I will say they have not played anybody. So I think that number is a little a little up there um, where Texas has had some tougher opponents and they've um, averaged 42 points a game. You know, Texas has played West Virginia. Texas played uh, Oklahoma State. You know, two very, you know, they're two unranked teams of very tough teams. And they also played LSU insanely tough and were about an onside kick recovery, which was, let me tell you, insanely close away from possibly taking that game to overtime. Um, that LSU Texas game is probably probably the best game I've watched all season. Um, and Oklahoma, simply put, they just have not played top tier opponents. Played Kansas, Texas Tech, UCLA, you know, South Dakota. It's just it's like tomato cans, you know. So I think this is going to be a real test for Oklahoma. I think Texas is a lot more battle ready for this game because of uh, the test that they had with LSU and you know playing higher value teams. Um, and you know, I think we're going to see who Jalen Hurts is as a quarterback here. Um, is he the real deal? This will be a good test of it. Um, it's going to be a high scoring game because neither, neither defense is really that good. Um, Texas pass defense is essentially, is especially bad giving up averaging 325 games allowed 325 yards. That's, that's, it's pretty bad. Um, but I think Texas will take this one. I think it will hover around, could be like 49-45 Texas. This is going to be a very high-scoring game. Um, but two, two very strong NFL uh, quarterback NFL prospects in this game, and Ellinger and Jalen Hurts. And then moving on to Penn State and uh, Penn State versus Iowa. It's a very, very big matchup to any fan of the Big Ten. Um, very across the board, a very even matchup um Penn State averages more yards through the air than Iowa um they average 500 yards a game total yardage and Iowa hovers around like 430 yards per game and uh both defense both defenses are fairly stout um Penn State giving up 240 and Iowa only giving up 254 um Clifford you know this is another good quarterback matchup especially in the Big Ten uh Clifford and Stanley um, Clifford, of course, for Penn State and Stanley for Iowa. You know, two very solid quarterbacks. Two very um, two quarterbacks who have won big games. You know, in big moments. Um, I believe this game is in Penn. I actually don't know where this game is at, but honestly, regardless of where you play, it's going to be a tough one. Um, Iowa with a heartbreaking loss to Michigan really couldn't get the offense going, but Michigan does have a pretty strong defense compared to uh, you know what some people may think. Um, I think a lot of people look at that Badger game that Michigan or that the Badgers had against Michigan, and it's just Michigan. It's not very good at stopping the run, but they have a very stout pass defense. Um, you know, and that's it's really the only big loss they've had. They also beat Iowa State, which was a very tough game. Um, and then you have over here Penn State, who just have have been essentially rolling through most everybody. Um, absolutely rolled through Purdue, thirty-five to seven destroyed Maryland 59 to 0 not that that's really means anything and they also beat Pitt 17 to 10 and Pitt's always a pretty pretty tough battle especially against um an in-state rival like Penn State um this could be a very good one as well um this will probably I think this is a later game 
Um, it'll definitely be worth a watch after the Badger game and after the Red River rivalry, or it's even something to click, you know, click onto. Or um, if you're more focused on the Big Ten, this will definitely be the game that you're going to want to watch. And then I think this one is more on a national scale. Um, we have Florida and LSU. Let me tell you about this Burrow from LSU, this quarterback. He is he is phenomenal. He is going to be playing on Sundays very soon. This has to be the most passing I've ever seen LSU. Most passing I've seen LSU doing, and I guess I can't say ever, but at least like the last 10 years, like since Zach Mettenberg was the quarterback. Um, they're averaging 54, 54 points a game and uh, 571 yards total, including four an insane 416 yards through the air. LSU is not a team to mess with. Now, their defense is not completely stout. You know, they are giving up 287 points per game, but that does not even come close to explaining the kind of uh, athletes that they have on that defense. Um, and, you know, the thing with Florida is, well, I think they are a pretty good team. They do have some pretty good wins on their record, especially against number seven Auburn and, you know, 24 to 13 last week in a fairly fairly showing you know a fairly great showing but I just don't buy that they have enough firepower on offense to be able to keep up with um, keep up with LSU um, they have a really good run defense but I don't think LSU is really gonna mess around much with the running game and um, I think the I think the big test is gonna be LSU's passing game versus um, Florida's uh, pass defense because Florida's pass defense is fairly fairly good 183 yards average a game compared to a team that's averaging 416 yards per game but um i am going to have to go with lsu here i think lsu will win probably like 38 to 24 yeah i'll go with that 38 24 lsu i really think lsu is one of the top three teams in the nation if not the top two um, I would really love to see LSU go up against the Clemson or Alabama with the way they've been playing so far this season. Um, but that's, that's about all I got here, guys. Whew. I gave you guys a little bit of a longer podcast today, but I definitely want to talk some college football. I feel like I have not been talking enough college football, and um, I really want to get that included. Um, I think the NFL season is really uh, something that kind of gets in the way Um you know, kind of gets a lot of the attention because it's there's just it ends up being with so many so many damn stories in the NFL. It's kind of hard not to give them that much attention. Uh, but there is a lot of great college football going on this year. Um, it is one of the more exciting seasons I've watched in um, the past few years. I have to say, um, really like what I'm seeing out of Wisconsin with uh, Jonathan Taylor, especially. Um, really think Jack Cohn is looking like a solid quarterback who's not having to do anything special. But that being said, I did really like what I saw out of Graham Mertz against Kent State as well. Um, and uh, it's really nice to see Texas relevant again because I've been a Texas fan um, for a while, for a long time. You know, and, and a lot of people are like, "What, well, Duke? How are you a Texas fan? You know, you live in Wisconsin. You've never even been to Texas." Um, and simply put, um, those, some of those Texas teams in the early 2000s are really what kind of got me into college football. Um, I was always an NFL fan. That was without a doubt. But, um, 
you know, hearing about the player that Ricky Williams was in the NFL and seeing the seeing the college that he went to, getting to see a little bit of Cedric Benson, getting to see uh, some Jamichael Finley, getting to see uh, Jamal Charles, and of course, Vin, you know, Vin, that Vince Young guy was pretty awesome too. In uh, that national championship game against USC, and one of the best games I think I've ever watched in my life, um, especially college football wise. And you know, and then you go from. Vince Young to that Colt McCoy guy, you know, he was pretty damn good too, which, oh my God, Colt deserved a national championship. I can't believe he injured his shoulder in the national championship game. I'll never forget watching that against Alabama. Um, So college football, I got two teams, you know. I'll always, my Badgers always be number one, but um, I'll always support my Texas Longhorns as well. Um, You know, I've been to multiple Badger games. I plan on going to another Badger game this year. At some point, I actually wouldn't even mind going to Michigan State this upcoming weekend, but that's that'll cost a nice little, nice little penny. But um, yeah, I, I love college football. I, I definitely want to talk about it more. I also do know that I want to talk some NBA. I do want to talk some hockey. Um, I do want to talk about some MMA as well because there are some big fights that have happened. There are big fights that are coming up. Um, I also want to start getting some updates on kind of the, what's going on with Conor McGregor. Um, who Khabib is going to be end uh, Khabib and Magomedov is going to end up fighting next. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of stuff still there. A lot of stuff there. There's a lot of stuff I still want to cover. It'll get covered. I think maybe as football season winds down a little bit more, and I don't have to talk about these terrible fucking teams like the Cardinals and the Bengals. You know, <laughs> and when I'm done talking about those fucking teams. Um, I'll be able to f- definitely fit in a lot more. Um, it's the preseason NBA. I'm not trying to rush that right now. It is the regular season now in the NHL. Um, I might even do a video for YouTube just kind of talking some hockey and kind of giving my predictions and stuff like that for any of my hockey heads out there. I don't know if there's a lot listening or not. Um, but I really do want to get into that this year. Um, I really do enjoy the sport of hockey. And I think I think a lot of people, if they really gave the sport of hockey a try, they'd really enjoy it as well. Um, but yeah, all that stuff coming up on the podcast. Um, also I'm looking into working on some merchandise. Um, I'm also looking at setting up a Patreon. Um, I'm, I'm starting to get some of the finishing touches done on it. And, um, I just want to let you guys know that this podcast will always be free. Um, you'll never be pressured into, you know, going and joining my Patreon. It's just for anyone who wants to support the work that I do, because let me tell you, this is definitely work, but it is work I'm very passionate about. So I do want to continue to do it and want to continue to grow this episode. I continue to want to grow this podcast and I continue wanting to help um, the What We Learned This Week uh, network continue to grow. So that's about it, guys. Uh, yeah, fuck you, Jake. Uh, I will be sending you your Gardner Minshew jersey, but you still lost in fantasy this week to my girlfriend, mofo. Woo! Had to get that out of the way. Oh, I had to get that out of the way. Oh, I had to get that out of the way. Um, and I won in fantasy as well, you know, fuck you and your Packers and, uh, yeah, fuck Gardner, fuck you and your Gardner, brand new Gardner Minshew jersey. <laughs> um, uh, it's all jokes aside though. Great sport, Jake. Uh, thanks to any of my followers. Uh, again, guys, I'm still looking for a podcast, uh, uh, podcast theme. I'm still using the, uh, Tony Hawk, uh, original, original Tony Hawk theme song. I'm eventually going to get flagged for it, but cross that bridge when we get there. Um, but anyway, guys, this has been what we won this week. I have to go.